Hi, y'all. Welcome to Crux, a podcast about big pivots, beautiful diversions, and essential truths of life, and of course, circus. I'm Jessica John. I was a CIA analyst who, at the pinnacle of my career, fell in love with being upside down. So I'm asking friends and experts, and sometimes myself, to share knowledge and tools about how they are finding their way through movement, through business, and through life. All right, let's get to the fucking point. Hello, y'all. Welcome back to Crux. Oh, my voice did something a little funky there. (laughs) Um, It is fire season here in Oregon, and therefore my throat is a little scratchy on the regular, and so bear with me. Hopefully it'll be better in the winter. Um, Crux is back. Little short mini hiatus there as I got my life together. Um, but I'm excited to be back. I have a lot of things that I want to share with all of y'all. And yeah, we're just going to dive right into it today, talking about training age. So training age, what is training age? I'll get to it. Give me a minute. (laughs) Let's back zoom just a little bit. And I want to talk about how when we go into training, whether you're an aerialist, a pole dancer, kind of no matter what it is that you're doing, when you're in a, the beginner stage of training, um, you have certain sorts of considerations, worries, expectations. And as you do something a little longer, well, all of those things start to evolve. And one of the things that I notice a lot as a coach, especially a coach that primarily works with people who have been doing this a little longer is that people start to worry about all the little details, all the possible things that they could be doing, um, when in truth, the things that are the real dial movers, the things that matter the most, are simply being consistent with something you're probably already doing. So in the beginning, consistency is king, right? That is what you need to worry about more than anything. If you're a coach, that is what you need to be instilling in your students or helping them along, trying to stay more consistent in the type of training that they're doing. But as people get more trained, what they do around the margins matters a lot more. So, This gets into this idea of training age. What is it? What am I talking about? (laughs) So when we're talking about aerial training age or pole training age, it's sort of, this is something that I'm I'm making up, right? I I didn't read this in a book, although it it comes from a book. Um, It comes from research. But When I'm talking about this idea of training age when it is pertaining to aerialists and pole dancers, what I'm talking about is a combination of two things. One is training age that you could read about in a book, and that is um, 
more about the individual's familiarity with training in general, what their general movement competencies are. So, for example, does this person know how to squat? Do they know how to hinge? They may not know what the word hinge means, but can they replicate that movement pattern? So these are just kind of the, the general movements that the body can do. Is this person able to do those sorts of movements? And then there is this secondary component, which is about aerial or pole training, right? So we have general movement competencies, lunge, hinge, squat, those sorts of things. And then we have movement competencies in the air or movement competencies on a specific apparatus. And those are going to be different from apparatus to apparatus, obviously, but there are going to be some similarities, right? Can the person invert? Can they key over to the side? Can they lift their legs while curling their pelvis, right? Very specific but simple movements. So those two things combined together make up what I call aerial training age. And that aerial training age is going to impact a person's expectations when they walk into a class or a private lesson. It's going to impact what they think success and failure means in the context of that class. And it's going to impact sometimes, although this isn't you know a hard and fast rule, but oftentimes it's going to impact what they desire out of that session, right? Do they go into that session thinking, I'm just there for fun? Or do they go in thinking, I'm there to progress a skill, right? So all of those things come together. They create this training age, which isn't a number, it's just a sense. <laughs> and that is going to impact how a coach coaches them. Because if we're talking about a novice, so a, a younger training age in what I've just discussed, They're not going to have a ton of familiarity beyond basic movements in the air. They may not have those general movement competencies just walking, right? Being humaning. <laughs> and because of that, everything that you give them is going to be new, right? It's going to be a novel training stimulus. And everything that is new is going to impact that individual. So you could step back as a coach and think, oh, well, that's easy. <laughs> All you have to do is give them something and everything's going to work. 
And unfortunately, that is not true because the training principle holds, right? If you were in a weight room, that would hold. But Ariel is not weightlifting. Ariel is a very complex endeavor. And we have a novice who is only familiar with basic movements. So if the movements are too complex, they are not going to adapt quickly. But if the movements are simple, everything is going to help them get stronger, get more mobile, etc. So it becomes really important in coaching novices to give them non-complex patterns, to give them simple cueing, and to give them some sort of autonomy in the process. Because when I say autonomy, that means choice, right? And giving people who are beginners choices is going to help them feel more successful. And beginners are typically there more to have fun. So you want people to feel good about going and experiencing Ariel. And of course, the more that they have fun, the more that they progress, the more they want to come back and learn more from you. And then on the other side of the equation, we have the advanced training age people who are more familiar with movements. They're used to a lot of complexity in their movements. And therefore, what they need from a coach is different. In fact, what they need from a coach is novel stimulus. So that's the same, except that there are less and less things that are novel. They've seen a lot. <laughs> They've experienced a lot of different ways to do the thing. And what are you bringing to the table that is different? So there is an opportunity. Sorry, my mic. <laughs> there is an opportunity there, right, to um, impact someone's training, but it's more around the margins. So little things can still have a big impact, but it's harder and harder to find those little things. So that means that there are less choices available to you as a coach and that um, there are there is a need for more monitoring of these little things that you're giving the individual. So what does that look like if we're talking about, let's say, a beginner class versus an advanced class? I just choked over those words. <laughs> a beginner class <laughs> versus an advanced class. And I'm using classes here because that's something that everyone has experience with. Um, but 
Just because someone is in advanced class does not mean that they're of an advanced training age and vice versa. Someone could be in a beginner class and be at a higher training age. So just something to keep in mind there. But I'll just easily divide it into those two categories. So in the beginner class, generally speaking, basic cues are going to have a broad impact on everyone in the class, right? You can pick a common way of teaching a thing and for most people, it's going to help them improve. And in fact, if you give them lots and lots of different um, cues or ways of doing things, that can be very confusing. So keeping things simple is helpful to the novice. And then if we're talking about the advanced class, well, these tiny little details that are dependent on individual things going on in each person's body is more important. And that means as a coach, you really have to monitor individuals and give cues that work for that person's body versus everybody. That means having a better understanding of the possibilities about what could be going right, what could be going wrong, just a lot more experience in general to be able to have impact with those types of students. In fact, a lot of times if we're talking about advanced students, any plans that you might have very quickly go out the window <laughs> because you might have an idea. Let's say you're working on a back flag. I don't know why I always use back flag, but I do. Let's say you're working on a back flag and you have an idea of the drills that you're going to work on because they work well with a lot of different types of students. And then as soon as you see that person, you recognize, oh, they have a specific weakness in this area and they're not pulling in this direction and, and it just cascades from there. And so what you do is throw out the plan and you start doing a series of experiments to see what impacts and what doesn't impact the student. And each experiment is a chance to get more information about how that person moves, how that person responds, and how you might be able to influence their progression of that skill in a certain direction over time. So those are very different ways of thinking about a class, right? Beginners, well, that sounds more like the classroom situation that you're used to. But when we're talking about advanced students, we're actually talking about private lesson type coaching in a group environment. So it's more 
small group, people learn from each other. That's great. But there was a lot more individualized cueing and attention that needs to happen. And just a little aside here, because I talked about cueing. Cueing is <laughs> those one or two words that you give to a person right before they do the thing. Extend your hip more or reach your toe more behind you. And then the person executes to the best of their ability and has thought about that thing. There is another way to give or to deliver information to your student, and that is through teaching, right? While you're teaching, you can describe the thing, you can show the thing, you can talk through it from a biomechanical position, or you can talk about it in like a metaphysical <laughs> position, right? There are lots of different ways you can choose to talk to your students about this work. And part of that is simply your personality and what uh, your background is and what you uniquely have to deliver to your clients. Um, so absolutely, you can always inject you into your coaching. And that's part of the teaching process. But then we kind of segue into the execution phase where the person is actually trying to do the thing. And when that is happening, when we give person, a person a word or two to help encourage their movement in a certain direction, that is cueing. And cueing is... Um, there's lots of different ways that cueing can be done. There's a lot of different research and literature behind cueing, and I'm not going to get into all of that today. I'll save it for another podcast. But the big thing I want you to take away from this right here is one cue at a time, right? Give a student a cue and let them try to execute it and then see what happens. And that's what I mean about experiments. You teach a thing, and then you have the person try it with one cue in their mind, and you observe and see how it impacts or does not impact their execution of the skill. And just because it didn't work doesn't mean that it's not valuable. We learn a lot from failing in our attempts. So give that cue some time. If you see that a student is completely not getting it and getting frustrated by it, then that may be time to put it aside or to try a different cue. But don't think that just because a cue didn't work that it has no value because there's a lot of value in reps of things wrong because it teaches the body what isn't working, and that has value. All right, so overall takeaway in this whole conversation 
if you care about your students and if, if you're a coach and you're listening to me right now, you care about your students. If you care about having impact in their practice, about them progressing, about them getting excited about working with you, if you want them to have the best possible experiences with you, you need to treat people of different training ages differently. And that doesn't mean that there can't be multi-level classes. If you're a studio owner and you're like, oh shit, (laughs) I don't have enough people to fill multiple classes. I can only have one aerial rope class, for example. Absolutely, I get it. And I'm not even suggesting that leveled classes is the best, right? There is a lot of value in people at different levels seeing what's possible in a class. And multi-level classes are excellent at that. But if you do have multiple level classes, if you do have people of different training ages in a class together, how you treat them needs to be different. And that's hard. (laughs) So it definitely takes a certain type of coach It takes a certain type of experience and training as a coach. Multiple level classes are more like the advanced class, where you have to individually assess more than you would in a beginner class. But they require a different level of attentiveness. Because in an advanced class, you can focus all your energy toward what one person is doing, give them great coaching and then turn to the next person and give them great coaching. And you don't have to look back so much because you know that the advanced student is taking your cues and running with them. But that's not true of the novice. The novice needs more encouragement. They need more uh, feedback for what they're doing. And so that requires a bit more from you and something slightly different than the advanced student. So multiple level classes are fabulous and they're harder to coach because it requires someone who not only has the mind of the beginner and the mind of the advanced student, but the ability to switch back and forth between those two quickly in a classroom environment. So again, it can be great for the students involved in the class, but really hard on the coach. And it just takes a different type of coaching. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And I just want to let you know that if you like all of this coaching talk, get on the wait list for Cardinal. Cardinal is my training program for aerial and pole coaches. And if you want to be the first to hear about a new free training that is coming up in a few weeks now, get on that wait list. That's at courses.circusmobility.com backslash crux backslash cardinal. And of course, it'll be linked in the show notes. I, I actually wanted to be like, Melly, can you drop it in the show notes? And uh, Melly's my cat. So I think only I think that's funny. 
anyway. <laughs> Again, thank you so much, and I'll talk to you next time.